We're going to be in a passage uh, in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12, the first seven verses. Um, So if you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you. You can find it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the Gospels. The doctor who took notes about Jesus' life and wrote a Gospel. And then I also want to read uh, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, so you turn right several chapters, and if you would find that, and um, if you want to, Matthew 6, I'm going to reference that at some point during, during the service, um, so I'm going to read from Luke 12 and Galatians 2, but before I do that, I want to just bring to mind something that I talked about, it's probably been a couple of months ago. Uh, this little diagram that's on the back of the sermon outline. So if you didn't get one, you can pick it up on the way out. And what I wanted to focus on is, and I talked about this earlier, was in your life there's chronos time. That's yesterday, today, and tomorrow, just a timeline. And then there's kairos time. And that's uh, a moment that's ripe something has come and it's time. It's not just time on a timeline. It's time where something changes. And you might even think of yourself, you'd say, well, that was a season when something changed. It wasn't just a, I was born and then I went to first grade and then I went to college. And that's Kronos time. But Kairos time is there's a moment in time that you say everything's right, everything's come together for something to change. And my hope as I started the series that somewhere during the t- this year uh, in Luke, there would be at least one or more Kairos moments for you, where you would hear something from Jesus and say, it's time. It's time to change my course. My life's going in a certain direction, and there's a Kairos moment that changes the way I'm going. And you would come back and say, during that season, or during that year, or all these things came together, and from that point on, I did something else, I thought something else, I lived a different way. But I just want you to notice what has to take place for that to happen, and I'm just going to point out the two main words. You have to repent. You have to turn around. You have to say, Hey, I was thinking in the wrong direction. I was going in the wrong direction. I was moving in the wrong direction. And something happened where I just go, I'm moving in the wrong direction and I've got to turn around. But then you have to do something. It can't just be, I recognized I was going in the wrong direction. Then you have to make a plan. You have to find a partner. You have to act on it. There are plenty of times that you can think of and too many I could think of where I'd say, oh, I really was convicted. But then what happened with that? What happened with that conviction? It just dissipated like fog. You know, I was really convicted, but I just I didn't make a plan. I didn't find a friend to help me. I I didn't really act on it. And so for us to have this Kairos moment. You have to say, "Okay, I feel like the Lord is calling out to me. He's helping me see something. But now I've got to do something on that. I've got to act on it. And it's possible that today's sermon is one of those moments for you. So I want us to have that in our mind as we think about this passage. Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. 
in Galatians 2, 11 through 14. So let's stand together as we, re- we read God's word. Luke chapter 12, 1 through 7. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have, therefore, nothing is covered up, which nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And are not one of them, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Galatians 2, 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul, talking about this moment he had with Peter, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, though a Jew... Live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You may be seated. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Let's just understand the backdrop to what's happening here. Jesus is, has basically three years of public ministry. He's in the final year, so he's in his third year. And Jesus' Jesus's ministry, as you can see, has gone viral. Many thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, it says, are following him in such a way that the the crowd is trampling over each other. So Jesus now has thousands of followers, and in the midst of this thousands of followers that are now sort of clinging on to Jesus and following after Jesus, he stops, and he turns to his disciples, and he gives two warnings. He wants this as the backdrop to say, hey, you're following me, and pretty soon people are going to be following you, and I want you to be careful about two particular things. And I think those two things don't just apply to the first century disciples, they apply to the 21st century disciples, and those two critical warnings are beware of hypocrisy, beware of hypocrisy. And beware of the fear of man. So he's taking this moment in the midst of this crushing crowd, in the midst of this growing popularity to say, hey, beware. 
I, I want to take this moment because you're feeling it right now and you're going to feel it in the future. And I want you to be careful about these two things, hypocrisy and the fear of man. First of all, hypocrisy. You see it in verses 1 through 3. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. These are the religious people of Jesus' day. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So Jesus is always teaching in pictures. He decides to use yeast or, or leaven. And I don't know if you've ever baked bread. Actually, I like to bake bread. Several years ago, I decided I like bread enough that I should just learn how to bake it. And so I learned how to bake bread. It was very fun. Still enjoy doing it. But the thing that always amazes me, even to today, is the little yeast package. You any bakers here? You get them in the store. There's usually one or three of them come together. And if you pick them up, you think there's really nothing in them. And if you cut them open uncarefully, all these little yeast things fall out, and they're like poppy seeds. They're so small, you would think they're not, they can't possibly have an effect on a big mound of dough. But Jesus is very careful choosing this little image because leaven is small. It works slowly. It works silently. It's not easily detected. It doesn't look like it could do very much, and yet it, it has great effect. Same thing with hypocrisy. It works silently. It looks, works slowly. It doesn't seem like it's going to have much effect, but then suddenly it has this massive effect. Leaven makes the bread look more substantial than it really is. Leaven increases the mass, but not the weight. You understand that? It makes something that, that, that looks really big, but it's not weighty at all. And that's what Jesus is concerned about, is that followers of Jesus would use Jesus to look really big, but then they're not very substantial. So he's warning them, don't be a hypocrite. And the word hypocrite in the Greek means to act. Don't be an actor. Jesus hates it when religious people act like something they're not. But here's his warning. He knows the human ego, and he understands when crowds start following after you, disciples. See, I want you to hear this. He's talking to the disciples, and he's saying, hey, I'm gonna, he knows he's going to go away, and people are now going to be following the disciples. And he knows as followers come after the disciples, their ego is going to start getting bigger. And he's, he wants to make them make sure they're very careful that the, as, G, as their followers increase, there's a great danger that you could turn into an actor. The, the pressure increases to showcase yourself in a way to design to impress others. You start out with a small following. You're very genuine. You're very transparent. But then more and more people come. And then there's a tendency... I've got to look good to all these people. I've got to say it just the right way. I've got to be just the right person. And now I'm going to, I'm going to have to act in some ways because I need, I need the approval or the applause of the crowd. Now, now just, it's hard for us to imagine this, but imagine using a platform to make yourself look like something that you're not. Can you imagine that? I mean, I know you've got to stretch your imagination here in the 21st century. But imagine using some kind of platform that would make you look big when you're really not that big. Can you imagine that? 
Imagine using a platform that makes you look really substantial, but you're not. Imagine using a platform that increases your exposure, but doesn't deepen your character. You can imagine it because that's our culture. We have tons of people with massive exposure and no substance. And Jesus knows that tendency to become an actor, to have massive exposure from the pulpit, but not have any substance, it can come right here. It's not limited to the crowd. That's why he's not talking to the crowd right now. He's just talking to the, to the disciples. And Jesus begins with this word, beware. In other words, don't be deceived into thinking that God loves, uh, lo- applauds your life when you're living for the applause of other people. Beware, because leaven, like hypocrisy, works slowly and silently. And so often, vanity is cloaked by virtue. This is how it, it sneaks in. Your vanity gets cloaked by virtue, so it looks like you're doing something really great, when really it's all about yourself. Now, we don't have time to turn here, probably, but it, just in Matthew 6 is a parallel passage to this passage. And Jesus says, beware about three things. And notice they're all virtues, giving, praying, and fasting. Now you think, okay, giving, praying, and fasting, these are all good things. And he's saying, beware of them, because you can attach this virtue and block your vanity in some way. And Charles Spurgeon says this, of all the things in the world that stink in the nostrils of men, hypocrisy is the worst. Hypocrisy. The religious people were using virtues to cloak their vanity. Oh, I'm, I'm praying in, in just the right place so everybody can see me. I'm giving right as I sound a trumpet so everybody can notice. And I would say the worst of these vanities that gets cloaked is by prayer. Imagine using your communication with God in a way that's really meant to draw attention to yourself. And I wonder if you've ever prayed and you hoped that when you finished, people were impressed with your prayer. Isn't that the very opposite of what prayer should be? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be, what does it say? Your name. I mean, the whole prayer, the whole beginning of it is, whatever I'm saying, it's going to be about you. It's going to be for you. It's going to make you look big and me look small. And then I step in and say, well, I've got some elegant words and big words, and I say all this in the right way and have the right tone. And people go, wow, wonderful. And it's like, hallowed be my name. And that hypocrisy can sneak in and you, you, you don't even see it. And it makes you look big when you're not really very substantial at all. And Jesus' solution in Matthew 6 is a secret practice. Constantly he says, Go, do all these things, do it in secret. I do want you to pray, I do want you to give. I, I do want you to do all these things that are virtues, but I want you to do it so nobody notices that you're doing it. Don't even let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Remember that passage? If you're going to pray, go into your closet and pray in secret because your father who hears in secret can't answer you. So it's all, everything is done in secret. So you get, you're just looking for the applause of one person 
the Lord and not people. And he knows the disciples. He knows them. He knows our, our hearts. That as we grow in followers, it's going to be so easy just to turn into an actor and impress people with who you are in a way that makes you look big in a way that's not healthy. healthy. George Mueller is a name you should know. You could look him on the internet. There's some small biographies and autobiography by him, but he was a man who was known for his care for orphans in the 1800s in England. And really what makes him stand out is that he, once he went into ministry, he decided, I'm never going to ask for money other than I'm going to ask God. So I, I have a desire to take care of these orphans. I, they, they need 100% help. I mean, they can't generate any money on their own. So whether it's housing or food or education, and I'm just going to pray, and I'm just going to pray that God would provide. And he did this whole life, and it's estimated that he prayed in and gave away $129 million. And when he died, he had almost no money. Here's what he said about his Kairos moment. Listen. There was a day when I died. I died to George Mueller. I died to his opinions, his preferences, his tastes, his will. There was a day I died to the world, its applause or censure. I died even to the approval of my friends, and since then I have only to show myself approved to God. There's a day for all of us who are following Christ. It ha- it ha- there, a day must come, and it, it comes more than one time, but there's a day where you just say, I'm done with me. I'm done trying to live in two worlds. I'm, try- I'm done trying to act like something. I'm just dying to myself. I'm dying to the applause and the approval or the censure of other people. And I'm just looking towards God. And that's what he's trying. Jesus is trying to hold the heads of every disciple and say, just keep looking at me because when you look at the crowds, it's going to be a, a very big temptation to be bigger than what you need to be. And Mueller just decided at some Kairos moment, no more acting. And that might be today for you. I'm just not going to act anymore. Peter stood here in Luke 11. He heard, beware of hypocrisy. And we don't know what Peter was thinking at this time. Maybe he was distracted by the crowd. Maybe he was looking at the other disciples saying, hey, you, you need to listen to what he's saying right now. I mean, we're not sure. But we, what we are sure is that Peter got a close-up look of what it means to have hypocrisy to slip into your soul. Like leaven and then explode. And that's the passage from Galatians. The gospel's spreading now into the Gentile territory. Peter is, is the spokesperson. He's the main guy. And he shows up in this town called Antioch, and he sees all these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people who have non-Jewish customs, particularly around eating. And he comes into this uh, buffet, and they're having hot dogs and barbecue. And that's not what a Jewish guy eats, but Peter's right in with him on the barbecue and the hot dog buffet. 
and he's having a good time. But then some Jewish Pharisees, some religious uptight people, crashed the party. And we don't know why, but Peter was afraid of them. It says he, he was afraid. And we, we can all guess why that might be. But for whatever reason at that moment, Peter thought more about what they thought of him than what he thought about God. See, there's a wrestling match for Peter. The Pharisees walk in, and you, you, can you feel the wrestling match? What does God think about me? What do they think about me? And at this moment, what they thought about Peter won out. Now, if you're a high school student or college student, this has happened to you, has it not? I mean, I can say everyone in the room, but particularly a high school, college student. You show up at a party, some group walks in, some person walks in you want to impress, and suddenly you've got an act. You've got to pretend to be something because you want to impress them. You want to be a, a part of their crowd. You want them to notice you. All these peer pressures come in. This pretty much describes my whole high school career. And I, I, honestly, I didn't know who I was until I got out of college. I was primarily just an actor. So you who have high school students, take, uh, take care, uh, take courage. It can happen even after high school <laughs> that your child comes to their senses. Anyway, Peter's fear drove him away from the barbecue buffet into the kosher kitchen. And if you notice in verse 13, Peter is a hypocrite. He's, his, his leaven is worked into him, but notice it's worked into the whole group. Verse 13, the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with Peter, even Barnabas, Paul's best friend. So P Paul conduct, uh, confronts Peter and says, love this line, your conduct is out of step with the gospel. Peter, come on, wake up. This is like the, the ice bucket challenge. You've got to wake up. I mean, your conduct is out of step, and your, your little leaven, your little hypocrisy, it's leading everyone else astray, even Barnabas, my best friend. I can't believe it. You all left the barbecue buffet because of out of the fear of these people. Your, your, your little being out of step is causing a whole chorus line of being out of step. I thought about this when I was at uh, New Beginnings Christian Church, Rob Campbell, African-American church. I'm on the front row on the first chair. And I'm going to speak at this event. But before, we got to sing and clap, right? So we're singing and clapping, and I just don't have rhythm. I mean, I think I do, but when it comes out, it doesn't look like I do. And so we're singing a song where we've got to stomp out the devil. All right, and everybody's doing... And everyone's out of step except for me. I mean, I'm looking at them, and they're like, I'm, you all are on the wrong step. But, I mean, I was out of step. But what if everybody, because I was going to be the host or the, the speaker, decided, well, let's get in step with Paul, even though he's out of step. You see how foolish that would have been? They hear the music. They know I'm right. I'm wrong. But to impress me, to, to be with me, they all decide, well, we'll just be wrong, wrong all along with them. And that's exactly what Peter's doing. He's out of step, and because of his popularity, 
because of, of his charisma, everybody says, well, let's just follow after him. And see how your hypocrisy, dads, your hypocrisy, moms, your hypocrisy, leaders, you're a little out of step, people are paying attention. And whether they know it's right or wrong or just need to impress you, they get out of step. Out of step with the gospel. It's so critical to have somebody who's in step, especially in a leadership position. So in Luke 11, Jesus addresses his disciples. And if you consider yourself a disciple, is there any leaven working now in your life? Any peer pressure, any fears, any need for applause, it's silently slipping into your soul. Anyway, you're out of step with the gospel. Make this the Kairos moment that you say, I, I, I know it. He's speaking to me right now. And just say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die to that. I'm going to put that to death. I'm not just going to see it and say, I, I'm repenting right now, Paul. But when I leave here, I'm going to make a plan to say, I'm going to get some people around me. I'm going to go in a different direction. So this would be the moment for me to say, I, I, I went in a different direction with Christ. Don't be an actor. Don't be afraid of man. That's the second warning. They're connected. Peter's acting was because he was afraid of these people that were coming in in some way trying to impress them. Jesus, he knows the fickleness of followers. He knows one day you can be coming into a city and they can shout Hosanna. And a few days later, that same crowd can shout, crucify him. so tempting to have followers feels so good when everybody's screaming out your name but jesus knows that same crowd you do the wrong thing man they're going to turn so disciples pay attention be aware and what how does jesus say it? this this just amazed me as and, and i just kept thinking about it even this morning verse 4 i tell you my friends do not feel, fear those who kill the body. So don't be afraid of man because all they can do is kill the body. And after they've killed you, well, they can't do anything else. And I think, well, that sounds like a lot, I mean, to me. I mean, I don't know if you read it that way. But, I mean, Jesus is saying, hey, don't worry because all they can do is kill you. And I'm thinking, that sounds like a whole lot. And it somehow Jesus just thinks on a different plane. And he's trying to help us get on that plane. He's not trying to minimize it because he himself is going to feel that. But he's trying to help you say there's another plane of thinking and living that if you get on this plane, then the fear of man gets a much smaller influence in your life. The Apostle Paul got on this plane. For me to live is Christ, to die, gain. See, when, when that's circulating through your soul, when you wake up and you say, for me to live today is Christ, 
no matter what happens to me, even if I die, well, it's gain. So when I go out and I'm in the party scene and the people walk in, I just have a less of a tendency to be worried about that, to please those people. George Mueller, there was a day that I utterly died to myself and to the world. And once that happened, George Mueller worked himself up into a different way. And I want you to see if the Apostle Paul can do it and George Mueller can do it, it's not just a Jesus thing, it's you can do it. But this is something that you have to push into your mind and push into your soul. Because otherwise you'd be like, well, if I lose my life, I've lost everything. That's not true. That is not true. Because Jesus goes on to say, don't fear man. Instead, of fear, instead fear God because he has power. God has power after your death. Let's just let that sink in for a moment. God has power after you die. Whoever puts you to death, they have relinquished all power. But there is somebody who has power after you're dead. That's the person you should be most aware of. Not the Pharisee or the popular person who walks into the party or your boss or your professor. You want to think there's somebody who has power about my life after I die. I want to know who that is. I want to be very careful about that person. The fear of the Lord leads to life, Proverbs 19. And whoever has it rests satisfied. See, if I walk out and I have a healthy fear of the Lord, I'm not saying that eliminates all problems. But I can rest satisfied because he has all real power. Proverbs 29 goes on to say this, the fear of man, see the fear of the Lord leads to life, the fear of man lays a snare, lays a snare. And I love this picture, the word snare in the Hebrew is a hook in your nose. Isn't that very vivid? The fear of man is like a hook in your nose. I, I try to imagine, some of you can imagine this, a little ring in your nose. <laughs> Not looking at anybody right now. But, I mean, I, I don't have one of these, obviously, but I look at it and think, what if your you know, shirt gets caught on it? I mean, this, this is pay, immediate pain, right? Because it doesn't take much, right? Very sensitive. But what he's saying is when you fear man, you're very sensitive to what they think about you. Oh, they, they're tugging on me this way. I'm going to move this way. It's just a snare. And you're going to spend your whole life just being led around by your nose, by the position of your parents or position of a professor or position of a neighbor or the position of your friend group or, I mean, whoever it is. And just don't live that way. I mean, see it today and say, that is how I live my life. I, I'm being pulled around by the nose of the culture or cable news, and I don't want to live that way. But then you've got to do something about it for it to be a Kairos moment. To say, I'm going to move in a different direction. Christian counselor Ed Welch writes a great book, and listen to the title, When People Are Big and God Is Small. 
when we see people as bigger or more powerful and significant than God, that fear causes us to give those people power to tell us what to think or feel or do. When people are big and God is small, you're giving them power to tell you what to think and feel and do. And you can spot this this God being small and people being big everywhere. Let me just list some places. Peer pressure. Overcommitment. Comparing yourself to others. Fear of telling people you're a follower of Jesus. Self-esteem. I need a certain number of likes. I need a certain number of followers. Little lies. I mean, they don't hurt anybody. They just make you look better. Or jealousy in your relationships. Your friends get together without you, and suddenly you're concerned about your status. These are all little signals that people are big and God, are small, God is small. And this permeates the Bible. It's all the way through this, the Bible. And we have to at one point say, that's it. I'm trusting in God's word, and I'm not trusting in mine. I'm dying to myself, and I'm not trusting in the world's word. And it's a tough moment, but if you don't get there, you will be led around by the nose. Probably one of my favorite Old Testament characters is Jeremiah. And he gets called when he's 20 years old. So just imagine you're 20, you're a sophomore in college. And this is the call that he receives. You don't need to turn there, but it's Jeremiah 1.17. But you, Jeremiah, you, 20-year-old, dress yourself for work and arise. And say to them, this is your culture, this is the religious people in the culture, not just uh, the person on the street. Say to them everything that I command you. Don't be, do, don't be afraid. And behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall, against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the priests, and against the people. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail, for I am with you, and I will deliver you. What a call. Get yourself ready. Stand up. Don't be afraid. You're going to be like an iron pillar. And when you fight, they will fight against you, and I will eventually deliver you. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in volunteering for something that God's going to have to deliver me from. Are you? Well, this is going to be terrible, and the only way I'm going to get out of it is God delivers me. I'm like, uh, send James. Uh, but here this 20-year-old man is saying, I'm going to be this person. And it literally says, don't be dismayed, don't be afraid, which really means don't be afraid of their faces. That's why I brought this up. Jeremiah, or you, you can put your name in here. You are going to be face-to-face with many people. Do not be afraid of their face. Look at me. This is what Jesus is doing in this crowd. Hey, the crowd could be so distracting. The Pharisees can come in. Look at me. You've got to look at me. So when you go out and you face your boss or you face your professor or you face your parent or you face any kind of challenge, you have looked at me first. 
And all the real fear you have is the fear of the Lord God Almighty. So that when you get out there, and it will be tough, they will fight against you. You can prevail. Now, now how is it that we prevail? It's not very complicated, actually. But it takes some kairos moment to say, I'm not just thinking about it, I'm doing something about it. A couple weeks ago, you might remember, I gave a sermon on Mary and Martha. Remember this? And the whole theme of it was, don't be distracted. And a college girl came. So a, a Jeremiah came. 20-year-old college girl came with her grandparents. And um, later that week, her grandmother, who brought her, gave me this text. Paul, I just wanted you to tell you about our granddaughter, who is, you can see her legs here in this picture. She left Sunday afternoon, headed back to college. She is just discovering Jesus. Yeah. I sent her back with a student study Bible, a small devotional book, and a highlighter. And I said, just imagine the power of this grandmother. She's in step with the gospel. I said, if you just have five minutes a day, in your busy schedule, please, please remember Paul's message. Five minutes of quiet time to read a few verses, see the face of Jesus, and Paul, yesterday she sent me this picture with this little caption, I'm doing my merry time. You see, it's not, it's not complicated, is it? But my guess is it's, it's hard. Because there are so, so much noise, so many other competing faces. But if you really want to stand up and rest in the Lord... And be able to face, outwardly facing, you're going to have to come face to face with Jesus every day. There's just no way of getting around it. So you can say today, Paul, you're right, you're right, you're right. But you got to go home and do something about it. That's the only way it's a Kairos moment. Otherwise, it's just a moment on your chronology. Hey, that was a great sermon. And then I move on. Don't be an actor. Don't, don't be afraid of other people. Fear the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we were very weak. And we desperately need your help. And we need this message just like Peter needed the message. In the midst of the, the crowd of our lives, the noise from the world. We confess it's easy to get caught up in their faces. Would you help us really make this a Kairos moment? To not just hear these words today, but to act on them. To do something so that a year from now, we would be able to say, hey, the line's moving in a different direction. 
and I have more rest for my soul. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.